News Talk 1110-993 WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Talking about the Charlotte City Council redistricting uh, process. It's underway. They've got another uh, committee meeting tomorrow where they will digest, if you will, the public comments that were made last night. And honestly, I I don't think there was anything persuasive that was communicated last night in the public hearing uh, that's going to move the council members to adopt Plan A. Plan A, as it was described last night, uh, was sort of uh, it's a kind of just, a, I forget what he uh, Mac McCarley, the former city attorney who's drawing the maps, he said it's just kind of like a reference point. It's not even really uh, – it's, it's like a status quo, and it's it's not workable because it ignores too many other criteria. So Council Member Watlington asked McCarley why the maps, the two of the – or I guess three of the four, uh, split the Hidden Valley – Neighborhood. Why did he do that? And and this was his um, answer. Why was Hidden Valley selected? Basically, because it's on the edge. Um, if I could get um, Wendy. Oh, murmur, 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 murmur. Really, like this? Because it's it is, guys. It is like you eventually run out of city limits, right? You're moving precincts around. This is why, like they, I think. They, I think the they should have taken this opportunity. Democrats should have taken this opportunity to redraw all of the maps and to create more districts. I think they, I think they missed their opportunity. Maybe they think in ten years from now there'll be even more Democrats that they'll be able to uh, to do a better job of it or something. I don't know, but this was uh, this was a pretty. St- it was a status quo kind of a thing. They're like, keep everything as intact as you can. Let's not cost anybody any seats. And let's make sure we, you know, I think they tried to get an even bigger majority than they have. Um, right now it's nine to two. And I think they tried to get a 10 to one. Try to draw Tark Bakari out of his district. Well, they wanted to, I think the the, the idea was if you move an area along South Boulevard, you move that into district six to include it with like the South park area. Then the idea there is that you would start sending Democrats in uh, to, into council to represent South park rather than Republicans, which have been the, uh, uh, the city council representatives for the most part, like forever. <laughs> right? So um, that's the idea. I think there are a lot of people that are really, really envious of certain of representing certain areas because they are higher wealth. And uh, that means uh, campaign donations. So uh, now I'm just spitballing here. I, I don't know anything specifically. I'm just pointing out that areas that get involved in politics that have a lot of money tend to shower elected officials with campaign contributions with that money. OK, so. McCarley says the reason why this particular area was selected is because it's on the edge. And it was like, oh, and then then the mayor's like, all right, people. But she does it in her motherly, mayorly way. If I could get Wendy. We have to be able to hear. And I think I think this council has shown great respect to listen. 
So please help us. I, I understand how important this topic is, but I think if you will help us listen, we'll be able to get through this and have a, a good conversation to set up for the ad hoc committee meeting, if you would help us do that. Help us. But then when you start moving up to the north and west side, nothing that doesn't touch another district can be moved because you can't have it not be contiguous to the rest of the district. So I, there just aren't that many choices of what to move to balance the numbers. So when you look at what's available to be moved, 205 made sense. 42 and 82 I consciously kept together because I knew that that was, uh, though it's two precincts, it's one neighborhood, so I consciously kept that together uh, whenever they were moved. Um, and it just it takes a lot of movement to get the population shift that's required to get back into balance. They were picked because they were on the edge and had the right numbers. So why not in one of the, uh, the precincts at the top? You can't move the precincts at the top because they wouldn't be contiguous with any other district. They don't connect to two or to five, and you can't have them as an island. They must be, pieces of the district must be contiguous to some other piece of the district. Which makes sense, right? right no, no Simon and Garfunkel kind of song here, right? You're not an island. It, you have to be part of, you can't just have, you know, District 1 with some random few precincts, you know, miles away from the rest of the district, not connected at all. Yeah, they have to touch. They have to be contiguous, right? The lines have to all touch. All the precincts have to be part of one district. They got to. They have to be touching. So then, Councilmember Watlington uh, asked whether uh, there might be an advantage here. There might be an advantage for Hidden Valley. Take a listen. From my point of view as a redistricting attorney, I think there are two. Um, and I'm fully aware that when I say this out loud, they're not going to agree. <laughs> but from my point of view, there are two advantages. One is that it increases the black influence in District 1 significantly. Oh, oh. The second is that District 1, as I understand it, is likely to have an open seat, which means that the voters in those two precincts will have an impact on on an open seat. Interesting. District 1 goes from a population that is 26% black to now 33% black. So they have a greater ability to elect a black representative, particularly, particularly in a democratic primary. And particularly in an open seat. So Apparently, Larkin Eggleston is not running for re-election. I was not aware. Or maybe he's going to go at large. Is that the idea? He's going to run at large or something. But um, an open seat, there's no power of incumbency. It's just open. So anybody's got a shot. Well, anybody who's a Democrat has a shot, right? Because it is a solid Democrat seat. And it becomes even more so with this redistricting under these maps. Even more so. So, five, as I mentioned earlier, five of the 11 city council seats are currently held by African Americans. Five of the 11. That is, if I remember correctly, a little bit... Hang on a second. I think I have the uh, the ethnicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, 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 do ethnicity. Dun, 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 
do do that's Hispanic. Oh, here we go. Um, yeah, it's like fifty-two thousand out of a uh, hundred forty-six thousand, so it's just under half. So, what is that? I mean, that's I don't know. That tells me. Oh, that's oh, I'm sorry. Hang on, hang on. I was looking at undesignated. Never mind. That's undesignated. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Do 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 do. Yeah, so it's under 50%. So this is pretty much in line with what uh, with what their population is at large, right? With the rest of the uh with the rest of the population of the city. Then you have the mayor who is black, so now you've got 6 of the 12 seats on city government that are held by black representatives. Then you've got uh, council member Dimple Ajmera, she is Indian. And then you have Tark Bokhari. I think earlier I said Asia, but I, th- I want to say, well, Middle Eastern is his heritage, I think. I don't know. And I, and I don't even care about that stuff. It's like, but if you're going to play the racial identity game, then doesn't all of this stuff matter? Shouldn't we be taking this all into account? And if we're going to play the proportional representation game and we're going to play the disparate impact game, as the social justice leftists want us to, then shouldn't we be making an argument for more white people? I'm not going to make that argument. I'm not making that argument. I'm just saying it would be logically consistent. Hey, a quick heads up. We have teamed up with Charlotte Mechanical. Uh, Charlotte Mechanical does the heating and the cooling and the plumbing and great work, great people. And um, so we've teamed up with them to help our neighbors in need get new or like new coats. We're doing the 704 Coat Drive. So head on over to a store, pick up a new coat. Or if you have a coat, you know, that's in good condition, uh, you want to give it a second life, then donate it. Uh, If you got kids, they outgrew their coats. Uh, donate those. And if you uh, don't even want to donate a coat at all, you can make a monetary donation. It all benefits the Salvation Army of Greater Charlotte. You can do it online uh, or find the nearest collection barrel. Um, but you can go to uh, 704coatdrive.com, 704coatdrive.com, and uh, help some folks out this, uh, this wintertime. I know it feels weird, right? But although today was, today's beautiful. See, this is, I got to say, this is one of the things that I missed uh, and, and am missing, will be missing about Western North Carolina versus Charlotte. And I lived in Charlotte. I've lived in Charlotte for most of my adult life, actually most of my life now. Um, but I really do like fall. I like autumn. And, I mean, just if we're being brutally honest here, we don't really get autumn here. We don't. We don't get fall. I mean, yeah, we get it. It 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 shows up fashionably late, and then it it's not. It's it's like a half-hearted autumn. It is. It's not full fall. You know. It's like today. Like oh, this is great. Oh my gosh, I've got a sweater I can actually wear. Look out! And then what? Tomorrow it's like eighty-five. You know. Eh. So, and then fall will be gone, and then it's just going to be cold. You know, it'll be like. In the 30s for months, you know. So I do miss. <laughs> it was the nice thing about Western North Carolina. It reminded me uh, same thing like up in uh, 
where I grew up on Long Island was four definable seasons, all lasting roughly the same amount of time, three months. Right? So it was, it was nice. You get enough of the, of the season to be done with it. But with fall, it's just, oh, summer just doesn't ever end. Anyway, although I will say, that since I've dropped the 40 plus pounds now with the PhD weight loss and nutrition, it's uh, I'm a lot chillier <laughs> now than I used to be. It's almost as if all of that extra weight was providing insulation or something. So uh, anyway, back to the uh, Charlotte city council meeting last night, a couple more sound bites real quick to get through. We got Malcolm Graham. He represents district four, which is the hidden Valley or includes the hidden Valley area. And they're all upset. Uh, but he's actually in charge of the redistricting process, the ad hoc committee. He's been leading it. When we received the data back from this, the Department of Commerce, it, it demonstrated a couple of things that I think our community needs to know. One, that North Carolina continues to be one of the fastest growing states in the country. Uh, it's growing in leaps and bounds. Um, Charlotte is only one of 14 cities that has grown by 100,000 residents over the last 10 years. I mean, so we're growing significantly. When you look at Charlotte's growth, it can be found in District 2, 3, 4, and 7. Uh, th- there's no doubt about that as well. Mr. McCauley said that we're around 875,000 in Charlotte proper. of our population now is African-American, 14% Hispanic and Latino, 48% Caucasian. I say all that to say this. The job of the committee in conjunction with the consultant was literally to move over 30,000 voters out of District 2, 3, and 4. Many of those residents look like me and you. Many of those residents are represented by African-American council members in two, three, and four. There is no intention to disenfranchise anyone. There's no intention to suppress anyone's vote. It is simply how do we pull voters from three into two, from two into four, from four into one and five, and into six. District seven remains unchanged. And so I hope that um, that those who are viewing at home and those who are here uh, understand and know that we are trying um, to be honest brokers. Um, we're trying to, I believe, leadership means that you tell the community um, some things that may not want to hear. Um, but I think it's responsible to tell them the truth. All right. So as the representative of that area, like he's trying to communicate, I'm not trying to disenfranchise you. <laughs> I'm not trying. Like obviously it's not. Also, by the way, the stats that he had, yeah, so he says what what was the number? 35% African American population, is that what he said? Or was it 45? I wasn't I missed it. Um but even so, like there is a disproportionate represent uh, disproportionate representation of whites on the city council. Does anybody care about that? Does do any of the people that have been arguing for disparate outcomes equaling 
systemic racism. Any of those folks? Are we, we going to hear anything from them? Where are they on any of this? No? No, just checking. Just checking. That's Tom Petty. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. You may want to sit down for this. I think I might actually agree with the Charlotte Observer editorial board on something. Their editorial on the city council uh, redistricting. They say, they say that they've said it before, one-party rule is not good for anyone, even in a city as seemingly blue as Charlotte. Supermajorities reduce accountability regardless of which power, uh, party is in power, and dissenting voices help create fairer policies that work for everyone. When five council seats come from solid blue districts and four are voted on by the city at large, it's hard to conjure up a scenario where Democrats don't hold an overwhelming and perhaps disproportionate majority on the Charlotte City Council. Isn't There's no perhaps about it. It is a disproportionate majority. Okay. By the standard that the left uses for maps at the state level. Okay. This is the disparate outcome argument, a proportional representation argument. They say you have, you know, 60% registered Democrats. They should have 60% of the seats. That's their argument. They say we are glad to see council wants to maintain two party representation, but keeping the status quo isn't the best way to represent all of Charlotte. If there are ways to make representation more reflective of the city's population, the committee and the full council should strongly consider them. Yeah, kind of late for that. <laughs> it is. It, this is. I'm sorry. This is too late in the process. Now, they're not gonna. They're they're not gonna change course here. They're just not. Um, let me get to Malcolm Graham. Uh, his second clip here. He says that um, he's a city councilman. He represents uh, Hidden Valley area, and he's like, I would not be trying to harm. Uh, the area and the citizens. I've represented Hidden Valley as a council member, as a state senator for over 14 years. I've stood on 42 and 82, asking for votes when I was not asking for votes, working to solve issues like potholes and sidewalks, a model neighborhood guideline. The mayor may be familiar with that. I remember that. Working on North Tryon Street. And so there's no one in that room trying to do anything to impact negatively Hidden Valley or any other majority minority district. Last point that I'll, I'll yield. No matter what we do uh, in any of the maps, um, District 2, District 3, and District 4 is poised to elect African-American leadership. A, a, a smart candidate in District 1 in the open seat, who has the ability to form coalitions, can win. Mm-hmm. That's the political side of this thing, right? This is inherently political, and I'm just being very transparent. But th- the numbers are what they are, which I go back to the main point. we got to move 30,000 voters. Right. That has to happen because they're not going to add any districts, which, by the way, uh, everyone seemed to think last night during this discussion that they just couldn't possibly do that. But the Observer editorial board, they got a quote here from from Pat Ryan. Um, Where is it? I just saw it here. Um, Who is the spokesman for Phil Berger, the Senate president pro tem. Um, And he said, no, you can do that if you want. 
You're, you're empowered to do that. Um, yeah, here it is. Pat Ryan, a spokesperson for North Carolina Senate leader Phil Berger, told the editorial board that there are not any hurdles at the state level and that the council does have the authority to change or add a district if it wishes. So this is up to them, but they're choosing to maintain the status quo because it keeps them in power. I mean, this and, and Malcolm Graham, when he says, just as he did there, he's like, I'm being, you know, transparent. It is a political process. Yes, it is. Which is something that Democrats have pretended it isn't at the state level. That's the only reason I'm just I'm just hammering away at this point is that I'm just I just get so fed up with the with the pretense of a single standard. That's really where I'm at. Like I, I recognize the double standard and I recognize that people always want a different standard for themselves than their opponents. I'm just sick of it. I, I'm just tired of it. Like you got you guys were have been arguing for a decade that you should have, quote, fair maps, and the fair maps need to have give you an equal number of seats to the proportion that you are registered at or the proportion of votes you get or whatever. You guys have been making this argument for years, and now you're in charge of redrawing the lines in the city, and it's like, oh, no, no, uh, let, let's totally adopt all of the criteria and draw maps that, you know, we would be railing against if they were at the state level. I digress. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Hello, Joe. Hello, sir. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Certainly. What's going on? And basically, you just said it better than I was going to say it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Well, I am a professional. Yeah. Well, you're doing good. Because, <laughs> you know, the idea is we got to get beyond this racist, racist element. You know, everybody's got to identify by race. And when they already have a majority, you know, there they are. African Americans or Africans of uh, well, Americans of African descent. Mm-hmm. You know the point is, I mean, and then yet we got to push this, and that just—I don't know—that just rubs me wrong that we're we're going the wrong way. Right. So th- it is it is getting people to view things through a racial prism first and foremost, and this is what the pushback on critical race theory and anti-racism and. Uh, a lot of these efforts of uh, the social justice warrior crowd, this identity politics, this is the uh, the danger. And, Joe, I appreciate the call. The, the danger is, and I've heard, like, uh, prominent black intellectuals make this argument. You do not want the white population thinking in these terms, right? Because they're still the majority. And if you get them thinking in the ter- in these kinds of terms, do you think that they, I don't know, might do things to protect themselves. Now, I think a lot of people are going to say, well, they already do. But I find it I find it noteworthy that you have direct explicit appeals, right, to race. I can't be represented by a white democrat because I'm a black democrat and because of the different races, therefore you can't represent me. That's literally what they're arguing for why you can't split up this area even though you're still both going to be represented by democrats. And you could still be represented by a black one, too, in District 1, right? That that's still, that this is the way it's being framed. This is the way they're they're thinking and they're arguing. It's explicit. Um, the other thing, and this came uh, to light during the U.S. Supreme Court rulings on uh, the North Carolina legislative maps, 
where uh, they were thrown out because uh, essentially the Democratic justices changed the rules by which they had been judging maps prior. But anyway, um, the the vast majority of black voters are registered Democrat and vote Democrats, like 90 percent plus. Right. And so it is. There is a uh, there's a cover there for Democrats. They get to talk in political terms when they mean race, and they get to talk in racial terms when they mean politics. It's very convenient. It's sort of like, uh, you may, maybe you've heard of this, the clown nose on, clown nose off kind of uh, 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 effort that a lot of people in media will do. Uh, like John Stewart was sort of the, the poster child for this. He was, oh, I'm just a comedian. Look at me, I'm making a funny ha-ha-ha. But he was also the most trusted news source for like most millennials or something. So that was like clown nose on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna joke now. I'm just a joker, and then clown nose off. And uh, now I'm a super serious person. You need to listen to everything I say, right? It's the same sort of game being run that you can't criticize the Democrat policy or look at us. We're drawing maps that are going to favor, you know, black representation. When in fact, what you're doing is inducing Democrat majorities. So there is. Like, there is a benefit there, and that's also, as long as we're being completely transparent, that's a benefit Democrats enjoy. So, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, after 2 o'clock here, we're going to talk with the Speaker of the North Carolina House, Tim Moore. Whatever shall I ask him? Yeah, probably something about water main breaks. Remember, boil your water if you had low pressure or no water yesterday evening after the the remount geyser blew. What was it? 60-something-year-old, I think is what Mark Garrison said in that news report. It's like 60- or 70-year-old water pipe broke. So, um, all right, real quick. Two last sound bites from last night's public hearing uh, at the city council where they were talking about the redistricting uh, of the city council seats. And Harry Taylor, now this guy, uh, he was the guy, if I remember correctly, he ran for Congress after he gained fame by challenging then-President George W. Bush during a town hall Q&A at CPCC. If I remember correctly, that's the guy. That's the same guy. Um, so he, I think, is with the League of Women Voters. I'm not asking, but uh, he 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 said he was with them. So um, he said he would like to see the city council abandon all four of the at-large seats to just get rid of those at-large seats and make everything district only. Prior to 1917, all the voting districts were ward elections. In 1917, a bunch of uh, essentially white businessmen got together and decided they wanted to diminish the power of the black vote, and they instituted a, a, a full slate of at-large districts. The uh, county uh, um, Circumstances stayed that way until the 70s when a bunch of neighborhood groups got together, uh, petitioned for referendum vote, which passed and changed the configuration to four at-large districts and the seven uh, districts we have today. All 
the considerable attacks on democracy across the state of North Carolina and across the country, it is time to end uh, at-large voting districts. We should, have, we should have 11 districts in the city council, and as I said, though that probably can't happen, so the next round of redistricting is something that we need as a city to consider and put at-large district to bed for once and for all. All right, so what are the benefits of a district system versus an at-large system? And at a fundamental level, I know this is going to be super, super simplified, but who are you more likely to bump into at the grocery store? Or, you know, where, fill in the blank, whatever store or uh, location, right? Are you more or less likely to bump into the mayor, uh, a state representative, or a state senator, right? Uh, somebody who represents a very large amount of people, a large population, are unless you live in their neighborhood, chances are you're not ever going to see them unless you make an effort to go find them at some event, right? Now, if you have a small, uh, smaller district size, population size, you're going to be way more likely to bump into that person that represents you on the city council. That's the that's the level that is going to be the closest to you, right? The city council is going to be the closest to you than any other body, than the county commissioners, right? Then the state legislature, then Congress, then president, then Senate, right? So you want a district representative that you are going to be able to bump into, uh, not physically a cost or whatever, like literally speaking, but you'll be able to see them out and about because they live in your neighborhood. That's what that means. And all the benefits that, that, that come with that. The fact that you're walking around and like, oh, hey, there's, you know, council member Graham and say, hey, Malcolm, what's going on? Good to see you. Whatever. Oh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? That water main break over there. And then Malcolm Graham gets some feedback from his local uh, constituents about, hey, they're talking about that water main break. Here is Councilman Tark Bakari endorsing this idea of more districts and no at-large seats anymore. I think that is a phenomenal idea. I think that 125,000 people that we represent on the district level around this table is larger than most cities in North Carolina. It's far too many. And I, I just, I don't buy into the, there's four people that are strategic minded and the rest of us just have workload and that's how it's separated. We all do everything. There's no reason for us to not break that down into 11 districts. And, and then we can be much more focused on how we break those out, make sure we're not gerrymandering. I think it makes all the sense in the world. We've been explained to why that is not possible in this go-round. But I think right after this is done, it would make a lot of sense for us to strategically focus on that. Yeah, I don't think that, uh, I don't think Democrats are actually interested in in doing away with a system that gives them a 9-to-2 majority. I think that they were probably more interested in figuring out a way to get a 10-to-1 majority. And if they can have an 11 to 0 majority, I think they'd do that too. And, and, and I don't say that because, like, oh, Democrats would act in a way that Republicans never would. No, I'm saying they would act in the exact same way, right? Because that's what Republicans tried to do at the state level, right? The political parties attempt to give themselves every advantage that they can. But think about what Bakari was saying there, that right now each district is about 125,000 people. 125,000 people. That is bigger than Rock Hill. So you're telling me a city council representative 
is going to be able to be a good representative for the entire city of Rock Hill. Yeah, I'm, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying it. Um, I mean, 125,000, that was bigger than Asheville. So I think it's a, I mean, I think it's a better representation model to have more districts and fewer at large. Um, by the way, the uh, Harry Taylor with the League of Women Voters, his reference to the wards, that, that's why they're still called, you know, first ward, second ward, third ward, fourth ward. If you take trade and try on, that's the, that that's your intersection, right? Your uh, those are the four wards, and they they were that was the dividing line for them all. Those were political wards. People don't even understand why those wards are called first ward, second ward, third and fourth, right? And second ward had the neighborhood of Brooklyn. It was a you know black neighborhood. They had businesses and all sorts of stuff and. The federal government paid to basically build a whole bunch of government buildings and tear down all of the neighborhoods. Thank you, Democrats, and urban renewal. Right? So the wards were the way that the city was originally set up. I'm fine with them going back to not just the four, obviously, but as a city grows, you should add more representatives because the population, it's not... It's not a geography thing. It's a population thing, right? It's a number of people per city council district, and you want them to be able to have more impact and input at the city level because it is the level closest to them. All right, stick around. We've got the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, coming up after the news. News Talk 1110 and uh, 99.3 WBT. WBT. 